Do you love the ever-changing field of digital and content marketing? Do you have proven experience developing marketing campaigns and leading a team? Named one of the best Christian workplaces in Canada, Focus on the Family Canada is looking for a Director of Integrated Marketing to join our dynamic team in Langley, B.C. If you or someone you know feels called to use their marketing and leadership skills to serve families, explore current job openings today at focusonthefamily.ca slash employment. Sandra Peoples knows firsthand what it's like to have a family member with special needs, and her experiences have really shaped her life. She's got encouragement for you today on Focus on the Family as we observe Sanctity of Human Life Week. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, according to the last census, almost one in five families, one in five, that's 20%, in the U.S. uh, includes someone with a disability, ranging from autism to Alzheimer's. Uh, That's a significant number, and so there are families who need hope, and they need help, and they need to know that they're not invisible to the rest of us. And maybe you have felt that way. You are that family. You're Mm -hmm. that one in five. We need to do a better job of offering these families encouragement and help and hope. And that's the core of the discussion today. Yeah, I'm really glad we're having this uh, conversation. I'm looking forward to talking to our guest. Sandra Peoples is uh, really a leading voice in the disability community. Uh, She serves as the Special Needs Ministry Consultant for the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention and is the inclusion coordinator for special needs families in her own church. Sandra has written a really insightful book. It's called Unexpected Blessings, The Joys and Possibilities of Life in a Special Needs Family. And we have copies of that here at the ministry uh, at focusonthefamily.ca. Sandra, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's good to have you. You're coming up from Houston. I am, yeah. We have great friends in that area, and yeah. we love Houston. Oh, it's a great place. Yeah, it is. It is. Sandra, let's paint that picture for the listener uh, of who you are. Um, give us an idea. You're working in the church. Why is this need about uh, special needs families so important to you? Well, I have been a member of a special needs family my entire life. My older sister, Sybil, she's just 14 months older than I am, and she has Down syndrome. And so uh, as her younger sister, I have never known life outside of a special needs family. We grew up in a small town in Oklahoma, and because she has Down syndrome, and that's one of those visible disabilities, we were pretty well known in our community. In fact, I was often referred to as Sybil's sister (laughs) instead of as Sandra. And so we, because we were so close in age, we went to school together right there, right? All my high school years were were spent with her as well. being her sister really shaped who I am and, and who I was. I remember the first time I heard somebody make fun of somebody with a disability. I, I mean, I remember where I was standing on the playground, remember every detail about it. And in that moment, I had to decide, am I going to stand up for her and for other people with disabilities, some of whom can't stand up for themselves, or am I going to try to just fade in and look just like everybody else and and be just like my peers? And so growing up as her sister shaped so much about who I am now. Well, and it's so important. What was your decision in that moment? And how old were you, 13? No, I was seven. Seven. I was in elementary school. I remember it really clearly. So she was just the grade in front of you? Yeah, and she and so I remember being on the playground and these two friends and they they made fun of 
they were kind of mimicking what a person with a disability would act like. And, and, uh, and they used the R, we call it the R word. We don't normally say it. It's retarded. It's now sure. not used. It's all usually used as an insult now. And so I, I thought, well, and even at that point, I thought, I didn't know that was a bad word. I didn't know that was a word that you used to be mean to somebody else. Mm. I thought it was just a label. Because, um, you know, this is in the 80s. And, and so I had to say to my friends, that's not okay. As you, a seven... You're, this is not yeah. how we speak kindly to each other. This, <laughs> wow. My sister and her friends can't yeah. always stand up for themselves yeah. against this kind of talk and this kind of... It's not okay. And, and what's interesting, the very first adult that I heard make fun of somebody with disabilities was one of these girls' moms. Uh-huh. And so you, oh, so you knew where it was coming wow. from. It was something she heard at her home. Uh, but it was, yeah, that is not okay. Again, that's such an amazing thing that you had that upbringing, you know, that it was part of who you are, yeah. not just part of your family, but it is part of who you are. Your right? sister who has Down syndrome, she's part of who you are yeah. in that way. And, y- you know, what I have found so often is people that grow up in those families where there is a special needs child, um, they're really pretty sensitive, obviously, yeah. and you were like that. And I, I think that's an amazing positive for people who grew up in families that, you know, have that situation. Yeah, I agree. What did the doctor say about Sybil? Uh, there was some uh, profound thing. Yeah. Um, what happened? And give us the circumstances. Yeah, so she was born in 1977, just a couple of days after Christmas, in the small town where my parents lived. Now, she was their first child, and so they there was no indication through my mom's pregnancy that there would be anything different about her. So when she was born was the first time that they knew they would have a child with a disability. So she not only had Down syndrome, she had an intestinal blockage. And so nothing that she ate would process through her body. And so the doctors took her from the small town in Oklahoma where we lived to Oklahoma City where there were better hospitals. And a a young doctor took my dad into like a janitor's closet and said, look, your daughter has two issues. She has this intestinal blockage that's fixable by surgery. She also has Down syndrome, which will affect her and you every day for the rest of your life. The intestinal blockage will will kill her. And so if you don't want to have a daughter with a disability for the rest of your life, we won't perform this surgery. Mm. We will just let her die naturally from this intestinal blockage, and and you guys can have more kids, and you can go on as if this didn't happen. And so, you know, I mean, it's my parents' first child. There's this whirlwind of going to a different hospital and being in the janitor's closet. And I I just can't imagine being faced with a decision like that just hours after your first baby's been born. And my dad said, no, we believe God has a purpose for her and has a purpose for her being in our family. And of course, we want you to perform that life-saving surgery and they did, and but it's just that story has stuck with me. When we're talking about the value of somebody's life, thinking that because of a disability, their life has less value right. than any of the rest of us, even though they are fearfully and wonderfully made with a purpose, just like any of the rest of I us mean, are. It, it so demonstrates uh, a worldly view versus a spiritually directed view, yeah. you know, God's view, which is 
what we want to do as Christians. And so that's awesome. Your mom and dad saw that. I'm kind of appalled at the number of times I hear about medical professionals. And I know they're trying their hardest. They're trying their best. And they're laying out maybe the worst case scenario, sometimes scaring those moms and dads into making what I would consider as a Christian a a poor choice. But man, it happens all the time time. It does. And it's so overwhelming to hear of these doctors that pull their patients or their the parents of that little baby into a closet to say, hey, do you want us to let this baby die? Yeah. It's, it's not uncommon. It's not. And you think people with Down syndrome, if you ask them about their lives, they report a, a higher happy rate than even the rest of us. Right. I mean, they are happier with their lives than the rest of us tend to be. And so... You're eradicating, eliminating people who are pretty happy generally with yeah. who they are and, and yeah. what their lives are like. Sandra, let me let me move now to I mean, again, people are gonna drop their jaw when they hear this. You're raised in this family, you have your sister that has Down syndrome, you grow up, you know, being a champion for those people who have some, you know, limiting factor in their life. And then you're Second son, James, uh, he's born, and what's that situation? Well, he's born, and we go a couple of years, and everything is is pretty normal. We Everything's just right on. We have an older son. There's, they're two years apart, and so we started seeing, after James's second birthday, we started seeing some delays, uh, like in his language, and we thought, well— Big brother talks a whole lot. And so little brother just doesn't get the chance right, you're trying to, figure <laughs> to talk it out. so much. Yeah. yeah. And so we just kept, but we just kept noticing. And he even lost some skills. Uh, he lost some words he knew that he couldn't say anymore. And then when my husband Lee would get home from work, he wouldn't go to greet him. He mm-hmm. wouldn't make eye contact. And and so we, my husband was a pastor in Pennsylvania at the time. And so that's where we lived. And we had a good friend who was an occupational therapist and and she was seeing these things, mm-hmm. right? She's a professional, but she was very kind and gentle sure. with me and, yeah. and didn't bring them up until I said something to her. And so at James's three-year well visit, I was very honest with his doctor about the things that I was kind of trying to hide or excuse up to that point. And, and she said, well, like she asked him questions. Are you a boy or a girl? Well, he couldn't answer that question. And and just the more she asked, the more I thought, oh, is, is this what he should be able to do? The gap was bigger than I realized. And so she referred us to the school system for some testing. That took some months. Uh, and so it was finally November of that year. And, and we sat in this schoolroom in these little tiny chairs. And he met with a psychiatrist, an occupational therapist, and a speech therapist. And they did some activities with him. And then they walked out and they walked back in and they said, we believe your son has autism. And uh, my husband and I are both there. Lee and I are both there. And, and for me, I thought, oh, this makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. We're seeing these deficiencies. There's a label for them. That means there will be help. And so some things, it kind of like a, a puzzle fell into place for me. Uh, but parents react differently. Lee reacted differently than I did. It was more of a shock because I had been doing this research. And so together we had to keep going and, and figure out what that meant for our family. I, I mean, you, you walk into this building with your son, with your family. You walk out and you have an autistic son and you are a special needs family. That changes everything. Right. It changed the way we spent our money because now we had to pay for therapies. It, it changed who was in our house. We had this carousel of therapists and people coming in. It, 
it could have changed our Lee's position as a pastor if that church wasn't willing to care for a child with a disability. Right. He would have had to find another job. Uh, it changed David, our older son, because he became this special needs sibling like I had right. been my whole life. Right. Um, and I knew, right? And that, like, I knew the challenges that we would yeah. face because I had faced them. One of the things that you observed, I'm sure with your sister, but also now with your son, James, I mean, people can say the most crude, rude things, even in the church. Even in the church. Give us a couple of those examples, especially if you're in a family that doesn't deal with this. You think you're being kind and you're really being very insulting, if I could be that blunt. Yeah. But share those with us. Yeah. There was one time we, we were still at our church in Pennsylvania and another church came to help and we were doing a potluck together. And potlucks are really stressful <laughs> because I'm juggling these plates and Lee as the pastor is trying to talk to everybody. And James, he was so he was four or five at the time, so he's got his hand in the desserts, you know, so I'm juggling all this. So we finally sit at the table. And James is with me, and the lady across the table, who I don't know, she's at a different church, she looks at him and she says, is he going to grow out of that? And wow. I, I thought, I wasn't sure. Like, And I said, do you mean his autism? And she said, yes. What did you do to make him like that? Oh, Those are yeah. the words she wow. asked There's me. a little guilt heap. It is so hard. And and especially when you're young and new to the diagnosis, that you're just so tender. You're so tender. I'm sure you wanted to cry. Yeah. Burst into tears. Yeah, and I, I, I was speechless, and I thought, well, there's nothing I did. It reminds me of John 9 when the, the disciples and Jesus are walking, and there's the man who was born blind, and the disciples stop Jesus, and they say, who sinned? Was it this man, or was it his parents that made him be born blind? And Jesus said, neither. None of the above. (laughs) This man exists to glorify God. And that the fact that the gospel writers include that for a parent like me brings so much comfort and hope Mm -hmm. because I can say there is no guilt. There is no shame. There's nothing I could have done differently. There is as much of a purpose for James's life as there is for David's life or my life or Lee's life. This, This wasn't an accident. This wasn't anything I caused or didn't cause. He literally exists, like the rest of us, to bring glory to God. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Focus on the Family Canada's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Program is a proven program designed to save couples from the brink of divorce. For over 15 years, Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped more than 4,500 couples, and over 80% of those surveyed are still together two years after attending. If you or someone you know is facing a crisis in their marriage, please call Focus on the Family Canada today at 1-833-999-HOPE or visit hoperestoredcanada.ca to find out more. Did you know that when you buy resources from Focus on the Family Canada, your purchase helps strengthen marriages, equip parents, defend biblical principles, and more? Plus, we carefully select every item, which means you will only encounter quality, biblically sound resources that are safe for the whole family. Help give back to Canadian families by shopping at Focus on the Family Canada. Find biblically-based resources for your family at shop.focusonthefamily.ca. That's shop.focusonthefamily.ca. This is the sound of the staff here at Focus on the Family Canada every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Petitioning God for those with crisis in their marriage, for those who want to become better parents, 
and those who are lifting up loved ones to the hope that one day they will know the salvation that Christ has to offer. We'd love to hear from you too. Call us today with your prayer requests at 1-800-A-FAMILY or email us at prayer at FOTF.ca. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Sandra, I think this is a good spot for the folks, the parents who are listening, um, to hear from you. Okay, I just had that experience yesterday. How do you counsel them not to absorb that guilt and shame? I think we have to... Again, look to Scripture, which brings us this hope and comfort. Maybe if you're a new special needs parent, you don't know how much Scripture has to say about disabilities. And it it took me a while to consider autism a good and perfect gift. At the beginning, I felt like I was waging war against it. I have to put him in every therapy and, and pay for every solution that could come our way, especially when they're so young, you don't know what their future could look like. And then I thought... Somehow, in God's economy, it is for his good, it is for my good, it is for Big Brother David's good, it is, it's for the good of our church, yeah. it's for the good of everybody who encounters him. And so there's nobody in Scripture who didn't suffer in some way. We yeah. think we're the first. Yeah. We think we're the first to get bad news. Yeah. And let's zero in in those last few minutes about the church itself. And, and you know, I have many pastors who are friends, and I would think— some of the most isolated people that are, you know, in the church are the families with special needs kids because the rest of the community doesn't know how to embrace them or behave around them, right. frankly. You know, yeah. the outburst that might occur in, in the sermon or what, you know. And there's just ways to work these things out. And you've made this your life's pursuit now. I have. So describe for us kind of that environment. I think if you're the four out of five you don't really understand what's going on. And unfortunately, there's a lot of impatience uh, amongst us that may not have to deal with this every day. So, you know, inform us. Tell us the real deal. Yeah. It's interesting because if you ask pastors, is your church accommodating? Is of it? Of course. They'll say, of course. <laughs> They'll say, we have a ramp or we, you know, whatever they do. Well, well, that that does meet the needs of a certain population. The ramp's helpful. The ramp's helpful. I'm not saying don't have a ramp, but it doesn't meet the needs of my family of origin or my family now. And so... And I know it's overwhelming when you think of every person with a disability who could possibly walk in your church, how would you meet all those needs? It's overwhelming, but but you don't have to make that decision. You just meet the needs of the families that do walk in the door. And you say, there are ways that we can love this family and serve this family. So like specifically with James with autism, he's got uh, sensory issues like a noise sensitivity. And so our church has noise reducing headphones and they're available to anybody who needs them. And, and fidgets, which is becoming popular for lots of kids now, little like pop things that they pop, those help kids with disabilities. ADD, ADHD, lots of different things. They can focus better when their hands are busy. So we have what we call buddy bags, and we have noise-reducing headphones in there, little fidgets. And so families can pick those up, take them into the service with them, and it helps their child be able to sit through the service longer. And really, it changes the perspectives of those around them. So there aren't as many judgmental looks or insensitive comments because they see us show up and they understand 
James is going to act differently, and there's a reason for that. And then they're able to give more grace to us and the next family who comes in the door. Yeah, I would imagine it also becomes a magnet for those families. It does. When they find out there is a church available that is not judgmental about their situation, that is willing to work with them. Yeah. To They want, ah, it gives me tears thinking about this. Those parents want those kids to hear about the Lord as much as those of us that have healthy kids, right? Yeah. yeah. And if we don't do things to help them, I mean, think of that barrier I know. for those parents. Yeah. You know, they can't come to church because they're embarrassed their kids are disrupting things. So let's find a different way. Okay. There was a church in Florida that I heard about, and what they did was they matched an adult with the the family. Mm-hmm. So when they came in the door, there was an adult volunteer from the church that would meet with the family real quick, say, I'll take Johnny. Yeah. And they would walk them to the the class and they would sit in the room. There'd be five or six adults in there with these kids that have special needs and sit there and just be there for them. And the teacher would do her or his thing. And if they needed help, a distraction, this adult would engage them and then connect the parents with them at the end. I think that's a great example of what to do. But Mm -hmm. so few churches are are able or willing, I guess, to do this. And And that's what you're talking about. Yeah, it is. At our church, we have something very similar to that. We have, we call it our buddy ministry. We also have sensory rooms. So for kids. That's great. And then we have, uh, for our teenagers and young adults, we call it reverse inclusion and so they are the class is designed for them and then we invite typical teenagers to be in there and so we have from every level from our little tiny kids to our adults opportunities for them to be fully engaged in our church life well and that is again so good and for the pastors listening i mean maybe that's one good reason to get the book unexpected blessings because uh you frame some of this and what can be done so that's wonderful and I guess in that context, Sandra, you know, talking about uh, the pastor or the associate pastor, what they might be able to do, again, you've given your life to this now and you've lived it your entire life. Um, what would you say to them about how they can be of greater help to that community of families with special needs? Yeah, a, a big part of that is just being willing to ask questions, just to have that family in your office, get them in there, say, what would help you be more comfortable on a Sunday morning? What can we do? We're willing to do whatever we can. I I feel like God builds his church in a way that there are people there. You likely have special ed teachers, therapists, and they're members of your church. And it hasn't even occurred to them, oh, I could use my skills in this church setting. Uh, And so just asking questions, praying that God would provide. He wants these families there. And especially I can say this as a sibling, if our small church in Oklahoma hadn't welcomed Sybil, they wouldn't have welcomed me. My life would have been completely different if they hadn't served our whole family well. And of course, this is in the 80s when you're not just Google searching, how do I help this family? They just had to do their best. And, And we had a whole group of special needs families that grew up in this church And out of the five families, three families have people in full-time ministry, music minister, church planner, special needs ministry, consultant. And you think that's because our church loved us so well. Before it was even popular or cool to do so, they did the hard work. Hmm. And that changes a generation. It It changes all of us. Sandra, let's end on this question. The, um, you know, we're talking about the practical need meeting of these families to welcome them, to do what you can, to create, you know, volunteer programs and all those kinds of things to help. And that's all good. 
But understanding the unique pressure of these families too, these tired parents that are getting up at two in the morning and maybe not getting back to bed because their child just isn't capable of of going to bed at that time. They just have to slog through it. And they're probably now so tired that they don't explain it anymore. They just sit there and, you know, they just look bewildered. That's a whole nother level of encouragement that we need to provide. So speak to that, the bewildered parent that is doing their best. They do have this uh, child with special needs. It's exhausting. It's all-consuming. Some days they don't know what to do. How do we go even further to help that family? Yeah, I think this is what is so beautiful about being in a faith community. There's a refrain throughout the Old Testament that I think churches would benefit from doing more of, and it is remember and tell. Remember what God has done and tell others. And so when I walk in as a special needs family and I am honest about what my hardships are, I remember God's faithfulness in every moment and how he has met me time and time again. When I hear from another family who's been from been through something, what maybe it's a mental illness and not a physical disability or a cognitive disability, and I hear God's faithfulness from their lips, they're telling me how faithful God has been. Then when I get up at three in the morning, I think, oh, God was so faithful to this sister at church. I know he's going to be faithful to me. Mm-hmm. I can borrow <laughs> some of her faith, and it gives me encouragement. I love, I love to say we have a 100% success rate over hard days. Not a one of them has taken us out yet, no matter <laughs> how early I got up or how many phone calls I had to answer or fights I had to have with insurance or whatever it was. God was faithful every minute well, and you know, again, this is just my observation. Some of the healthiest spiritual people that I know are the families that are, you know, dealing with a, a child with special needs because there is unconditional love. They are doing everything they can do. Um, typically, my experience has been they are amazing people yeah. that get it. Yeah. And they're nice to hang out with because yeah. <laughs> they're, you know, they know humanity, yeah, right? Yeah. Sandra, this has been so good. Thank you for your life's work. Yeah. I really mean that. Thank you. I'm so blessed to get to know you and to meet you and talk with you. Thank for you. your sister, Sybil, and defending her when you're seven <laughs> years old. My heart just goes out to you. That's so terrific. And then carrying it right through. I'm not going to tell you. I don't know your age, but <laughs> I won't mention that again. Yeah. But, I mean, just that idea. And then with your son, James. I mean, for you and Lee and... Just God bless you. And, uh, you know, for the folks, for the listeners, I think this is a great resource, Unexpected Blessings. Uh, and what a great thing to know yourself. Uh, get a copy for your pastor at church and start talking about it. Now, here's a little clue. My brother was a pastor. Don't go to the pastor and say, hey, pastor, I think you should do something. Do it yourself yeah. for the church. Do what Sandra's done. Uh, just start welcoming families that have children with special needs and then just absorb as much as you can about how to do it better and better. What a great place to start. And I'd like to encourage you to get a copy of Sandra's book, Right from Focus on the Family Canada. And when you do, all the proceeds go right back into ministry, saving marriages, saving a baby's life, helping a family with a child with special needs. So do that. Be part of the ministry. Get your resources from Focus Canada. Yeah, your donation uh, enables us to reach out and encourage parents in situations like this and equip those around special needs families 
Uh, Sanders' book does have a lot of great scripture in it. It includes questions at the end of each chapter, so you can kind of work through and process and have conversations, either as a family or maybe with your small group or your circle of friends. Uh, It's a great book for any life struggle, really. And uh, again, it's called Unexpected Blessings, The Joys and Possibilities of Life in a Special Needs Family. Stop by focusonthefamily.ca or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.